Go on, give us a smile. Go on, you know you want to. Well, if it's that bad, maybe you need a bit of help from G4 by Golpa. G4 by Golpa can give you brand new permanent teeth in just 24 hours. They'll give you a new smile that looks, feels, and functions just like natural teeth. Make your appointment today at yourteeth.com. That's yourteeth.com and save yourself $1,000 just by mentioning this podcast. G4 by Golpa. Powered by technology. Inspired by patience. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 114. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation. And they've less than two weeks to go before day one of the NFL Draft. And we have a jam-packed and a pretty special episode for you guys today. Alex, all I will say to you is it is a great day to be alive today. Amen. How's that? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. And it, and so I don't want to tease it at all. I know we've already tweeted about it, mentioned it on the podcast, but I don't want to bury the lead here for, for any uh, longer than I have to. We will, of course, talk about the Tanner Musa signing here in just a moment. But got to mention a little bit later in the show, Dave and I are so grateful and fortunate to be joined by legendary Steelers coach and Hall of Famer Dick LeBeau. And so about a half hour conversation, just Hearing stories from from Coach LeBeau, uh, and, and what better way to talk to the man that way and just you know reminisce on his time in Pittsburgh and great defenses and great players and great memories. And so, in just a little bit, we'll throw it to that interview that we recorded the other day with Coach LeBeau. I have to give a big shout out to Scott Brown for helping facilitate the interview. But uh, man, it's just. That is a, a bucket list item for both of us, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've, I tweeted about it, I think, several times <laughs> over the years, how I'd like to, you know, if there's one probably person I'd like to be locked in a room with for a little bit, be uh, uh, Dick LeBeau here. And uh, yeah, uh, shout out to Scott Brown, uh, uh, who joined our staff uh, earlier this offseason here as an editor and kind of an idea uh, generator. And a lot of people probably don't know Scott Brown has authored uh, quite a few uh uh, books so far and you know uh one i'm is coming up is is going to be on dick lebeau and uh, uh specifically about that 2008 uh defense as you'll hear in the interview uh, a little bit later in this show here and uh uh look i we would we would be you know not doing our our job if we didn't help you know get out in front of this thing with Scott Brown and help kind of promote this book as well, too. And I, uh, I talked to Scott, uh, uh, chatted with him a little bit last night. Uh, the release of the uh, Dick LeBeau book is, is scheduled to be around July of 2024, right before training camp. So uh, if you need to start saving your nickels now uh, in, 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 in your piggy bank, start doing it now. But uh, uh, I, I guess you're a little bit more than a year away from that happening. But uh, and then obviously, you know, I would think uh, Coach LeBeau will be making the uh, media rounds you know, as that happens. But we got him a full year out, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a year out uh, in that. So uh, shout out again uh, to, to Scott Brown has been quite you know, a heck of a, a, an addition to uh, our Steelers Depot staff. 
He has. And you you guys better buy that book. I don't tell you to do anything that often, but when this book comes out in 2024, you better pick that right. one up. That is one you're not going to want to miss. Look, got to get that one on the bestsellers list, right? For sure. It should be. I mean, a coach from a book from, from Coach LeBeau, the stories that will be told there. I mean, I, we talked to him for a half hour and it felt like oh. there was, there's a hundred other questions that I was dying to ask him, but uh, obviously just, you know, only so much time. But uh, yeah, the, 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 you, just, you just have to get that book. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't even make it halfway through my quiet. You know, I, I and look, if he would have stayed on, if we would have been able to keep him, you know, another 30 for 45 minutes, we could have easily, you know, filled the time because I, I had to start prioritizing my questions because, you know, obviously the the uh, the time limit there. So uh, who knows, uh, Alex, uh, you know, with the book uh, release, you know, well over a year away, I, I have a feeling maybe we'll be able to get Dick LeBeau on again. Yeah, that would be fantastic. But uh, we'll we'll throw that interview in just a little bit. I do want to start off, though, with the news of the day on Friday in Pittsburgh. A very busy free agency under Omar Khan continues. And so the Steelers reportedly signing uh, former Seahawks linebacker Tanner Muse. Again, I assume this is a one-year deal like Watts, like Bahoko, like Neil. That's not been officially reported, but I think it's probably pretty safe to assume so. So Muse, former third-round pick of the Raiders, didn't work out there, went to Seattle primarily been playing on special teams the last two seasons. Still got a bit of a cup of coffee on defense in 2022. He'll come over with Aaron Curry, of course, was uh, in Seattle. Now Pittsburgh's inside linebackers coach Muse, a former safety at Clemson, kind of became that hybrid guy, should be more of the off-ball type. Basically, like Marcus Allen, even in terms of career arc safety to linebacker, special teams value, less so on defense, but um, probably a better special team or about as good a special team or without hopefully some of the mental mistakes and frustration that Allen occasionally brought so a just fine signing by me yeah uh look and uh this is a guy a year and a half ago i thought you know might be a fit with the steers to claim off waivers you know i i think uh what was it around uh, september of 2021 i think when he was waived by the uh, and i remember specifically because i think it was tanner muse's birthday the day mm. the, the raiders wished him happy birthday on twitter <laughs> oh man <laughs> do you remember that they wished him happy birthday bit. on twitter and then uh like the next i guess they didn't get with their uh, social media uh department you know happy birthday tanner muse and then he was waived or something <laughs> I forget the, but I mean, I, I remember that specifically because of, 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 of how that thing looked there. And then uh, obviously landed uh, with the, uh, with the Seahawks there. And it's easy to connect the dots back to him. He's the guy that we talked about a hit way ahead of that 2020 uh, NFL draft. And I think uh, specifically after that Clemson pro day, which by the way, the students were there. Right. And um uh, uh, he's one of those planet theory guys, right? How many of those guys do you uh, have that are what? 6'2", 227 uh, 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 pounds that uh, has the, had the freakish athleticism that he had there. I mean, his RAS score was off the chart during the pre-draft process. Now, for whatever reason, you know, he just hasn't been able to put it together on the, you know, as a defensive player, uh, overall, and, and some wondered, is was he going to be a safety or was he going to be an off-the-ball linebacker in the NFL? And you're right. You know, he has had kind of the career uh, arc of a uh, uh, of a Marcus Allen there. But uh, really athletic guy, good on special teams. Once again, I think it was something like 300-something snaps on special teams uh, last season there. And, you know, barring, barring him getting pushed out 
you know, because of them needing a roster spot, this guy's got a pretty decent inside track at, uh, uh, at making a 53 man roster. Yeah, I would say so. So you have an inside linebacker room of Cole Holcomb, a Landon Roberts, of course, Mark Robinson, and then Tanner Muse, and maybe a fifth guy can, can go ahead and latch on a rookie type or undrafted type. So, um, yeah, I, I remember I did the report on Muse coming out of Clemson and, you know, uh, with it with the testing, he was a really good athlete. It didn't always translate to the tape. I think he was a little clunky, a little awkward. There was questions about scheme fit and where he would best play, you know, in a box role, ultimately really moving to linebacker in the NFL. So I, I think he's always kind of maybe left me wanting more in terms of what he offered defensively in college. But obviously, it's carving out that niche on special teams. And listen, you know, we talked about this uh, probably more than a month ago. Pittsburgh, as of now, have lost a lot of special team snaps with Marcus Allen and Benny Snell and Derek Watt and Miles Boykin. And obviously, Muse is not going to play Gunner the way that Boykin did, but he may replace what Derek Watt did or what Marcus Allen did as a personal protector and running down punts and and kicks. And so, um, you know, we talk about all the losses and snaps, offense, defense, but they lost hundreds of snaps on special teams. And some guys will replace that rookies, future contracts, um, all, all, all of those types. But you need some some veterans, some guys that have done that before, and Muse is one of those guys. Yeah, look, yeah, you know, even Miles Killebrew last year didn't have the special team season, you know, uh, that sure. uh, uh, that he had the season before there. So uh, a lot of moving parts uh, in that, and you got to throw a bone to uh, Danny Smith every once in a while, right? And this is a guy that the, didn't the Steers have a pro day dinner? Well, they probably there were probably several guys at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at that pro day dinner back in 2020 and, you know, from the athleticism and, 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 and a use, uh, standpoint, you know, that's why pretty much why I wrote about it, you know, a year and a half ago, because, you know, they, 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 you know, there was a possibility of them, you know, adding another guy like, like Muse there, but, uh, a, a guy that you probably shouldn't plan on or hope not to see on the field very much other than special teams, but does have that versatility to play a couple positions if he does hit. Sure. And listen, this team just released Jameer Jones, and we're not still quite sure why that was. And they did not have to release Jameer Jones to sign Tanner Muse, but maybe for whatever reason, Jones went out and they said, okay, we got to bring somebody in. Now, Muse is more off ball. Jones is technically an edge player. So they're not one one in terms of their actual, you know, defensive role whenever they might have one, but uh, another, you know, 200 plus special, uh, special team snaps to replace. So all the more reason to bring a guy like Muse in. Interesting uh, thing, looking back real quick at uh, his uh, transition background and all, uh, Alex, he's another one of those. He came in in, 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 in 2020 and was uh, this offseason uh, a restricted free agent, untendered, and I think he has, I don't know what he did in 2020, I'm not uh seems like he was on their run. Did he get hurt or something in 2020? I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't done enough yeah. of a dive on his background. He may have been. He only played like 100 snaps, I think, in 2020 on special teams. Oh, okay. Uh, he may have been inactive. I'm not quite sure. Because uh, I'm only showing regular season uh, uh, 2021 and 2020. Maybe he was on there. On, uh, anyway, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to find out if he had another accru- another credited season in 2020. Remember, that was the COVID uh, uh, year. So what did I stipulate on that? Did all players get a credited season, even if they were on? A- anyway, uh, it this should be a minimal minimal contract. The thing is, is it won't be a veteran benefit contract because he's not 
uh, uh, four credited seasons. Okay, gotcha. So well, I'm sure we'll get numbers on that here shortly, and you'll break it down sometime next week. So that is the uh, the story on Tanner Muse. I think just a, a fine, certainly not going to move the needle substantially, but I think an important one given all of these special teams losses. Yeah. All right, just to kind of bounce off of that, I've been going through my what they look for study, and today just happened to be inside linebacker. And maybe that becomes a little less relevant with the Muse signing, but I still want to note the names who check every single box in our what they look for study when it comes to the off-ball linebacker uh, position. And there are four names in Jeremy Banks from Tennessee, Nick Herbig from Wisconsin, Pittsburgh shown interest in him. Now, he was an edge guy at Wisconsin. I'm considering him an off-ball linebacker for the NFL, his most likely position, Noah Sewell from Oregon and Trenton Simpson from Clemson, the freak who checked every single box. So those are the four names there. Herbig to me sticks out the most. Uh, yes. And here's something that's going to stick out on a newswire for you. The, oh. uh, outside linebacker, Bud Dupree has agreed to terms on a one year deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. So, you know, he had that uh, physical with Pittsburgh left and no guarantee. And depending on the money, depending on opportunity, that is a bit of a surprise though. I felt like, you know, Dupree had a really good shot to come back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, interesting indeed there. So, uh, not going to come to Pittsburgh, going to go to, uh, Atlanta on a one year deal. It looks like here. Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, Pittsburgh apparently never offered him a contract, never really talked numbers, is that home for him? He's from Kentucky. What is what is home? For uh, he uh, I know. I, I, I think he trains a lot in, uh, in Atlanta, doesn't he? I don't know. Is if that was Chuck Smith down there. They were in Atlanta for a while. Uh, I think he's so. from that he's sounds... from Macon, Georgia. I'm just looking up okay. his Wikipedia page. So uh, he went to you know, he's from the area, essentially. So maybe there's a bit of a pull there, obviously, you know, financially, maybe opportunity wise. The Falcons have had a lot of uh, pretty busy uh, offseason retooling that defense. So, OK. That sounds like a homecoming, though, for Bud Dupree. Yeah. All right. So he won't be landing in Pittsburgh after the uh, visit there, what, a couple of weeks ago there. So uh, what were we talking about? Boy, this is turning into. <laughs> there's never there's not been a quiet day. Has there? Uh, no, there hasn't. Uh, what what were we just talking about to round things out there? Oh, the, the, uh, the, the study. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and the names that that check the boxes. Yeah. Jeremy Banks from Tennessee. Nick Herbig from Wisconsin. Noah Sewell from Oregon. And Trenton Simpson from Clemson, I think Herbig is the one that really catches my eye here. Right. And and he's a guy that we talked about, too, that, you know, entering the NFL, is he an edge or is he off, off the ball? And he's the one that during his pro day, even uh, his, his, his interview with the media talked about how. He's basically been told he's going to be the, be an off the ball guy. Now, let me tell you, he's uh, his 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 uh, his edge tape at Wisconsin is not not too shabby at all. He's just he's, he's undersized, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's uh, that's going to make make things a, a, a little bit tougher for him. Uh, who was the kid, the kid Sutton Smith a few years ago? There was a little bit that came out that had what did that kid have as far as sacks. In, oh, it was a, crazy Mac production. I forget the numbers, but yeah. it was off the charts. But he was so tiny. Right, right. Uh, now I, you know, Herbig's a little bit, I think, bigger than mm-hmm. than than Sutton Smith is. But uh, uh, going to be interesting, and I, it's going to be one of those things with him come draft time that, you know, it's going to be. It only needs to be one team. You know, is there one team out there that thinks he can be an a leg- legitimate edge? 
potentially uh, at the NFL level? Or, you know, is there a team out there that, that says unequivocally, oh, we, we you know, he, he could be off the ball and in the first year of transition, he can play on special teams and, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, the stock on, 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 on Nick Herbig, I mean, I, to me, it's all over the map. It's anywhere from fourth to, I would even say seventh round because, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not, not that low. Let's go fourth to sixth round because of what is his true fit at the NFL level. Now, obviously the Steelers had Curry at that uh, Wisconsin pro day. And he obviously is the brother of, 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 you know, Steelers new guard on uh, Nate Herbig. So there is some dots to, to, to connect there, but uh, you know, overall, just an, an interesting to see how this guy fits in the NFL. Yeah, in Pittsburgh, I mean, just looking at the profile, 6'2", 240, 31 and a quarter in charms. I, you can't play edge on that, especially the length. It might might even be a little bit less about the weight, though. It is certainly part of the weight, but if you have length like that and it's just not that long, it's hard to really, you know, in the run game, you got to have length to control blocks, to keep vision on the football so those big tackles aren't swallowing you up. And you just have to be an off-ball guy. In Pittsburgh, maybe other systems that have different demands, different schemes and requirements could be something different. But I think in Pittsburgh now, you know, could you we mentioned this before, rush him on third down in different packages. You know, Vince Williams would sometimes line up over the edge and they you know, kind of do some creative looks on third down. So, you know, you can utilize the, the pass rush traits that he has. But as a down and down guy, he's an off ball player. All right. Uh, Banks is another guy that we talked about. Uh, throughout this offseason a little bit, super athletic, but boy, he's got, you know, some, uh, some off the fall, off the, off the field, uh, situation there with him really needs to be, I think that's kind of where we left it at, right? The off the, off the field things with him really need to be examined. Yeah. He's got some serious, uh, character and, and, and red flags there. And if Pittsburgh's going to be anything similar to what it was under Kevin Colbert, he's not going to be really in serious consideration for the Steelers. Right now, where is the, uh, the, the two lane kid that Curry went down to go see at, uh, where does he go on the, on, on the box checking? Let me check here on Dorian Williams. Let me pull up my, uh, my notes. They're not in the post for Williams. Uh, he's one of those guys that didn't do all the testing. So he didn't miss in any category that he tested in, but he did not bench and did not do the shuttle drills, the three cone or the short shuttle. And so he doesn't qualify just for that lack of testing. Uh, updating here, some news on Bud Dupree as it comes in. Uh, looks like a deal worth up to $5 million. Yeah, well, up two can do a lot of heavy lifting here. We don't know exactly. I mean, incentive based, obviously, we don't know what those numbers may mean. So, you know, it's a one year deal, though. And could Pittsburgh really do a one year deal? Uh, it might be that that might have been tough to fit cap wise, depending on incentives and, and likely to be earned. But the, the structure may have been a, a challenge. Is that inaccurate? Maybe a way to look at that, Dave? Yeah, because the Steelers are not fans of doing that kind of that up to kind of stuff, you know, that we right. talked about. No incentives. Yeah. And, and as I, kind of talked about through this process they can make it work if you know it was a you know flat out cap charge of maybe you know four million or under or something along those lines there so uh and also we don't know what 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 the outlook is as far as maybe what he's been told for playing time and because he was going to probably be a number three right you know rotational mm-hmm. guy in in pittsburgh so maybe he's got an opportunity to to see more playing time over there in atlanta 
Yeah, he may he may be able to. So the combination of that, the the money, the structure, him being able to go back home to to Georgia, are probably all factors in why he's becoming a Falcon. Right. All right. We're, so we're, flip, we're flipping back and forth in between news and 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 and. Uh, but uh, coming coming out of your heck of a timing with them signing news this morning when you when you release that. Good thing you got it out of the way though. Right right ahead of that though. Sure. Uh, do you you know? What does this do to really the potential of the Steelers? You know, because look, Muse is not a lock, but he, but that special teams background cer- certainly does give him uh, a nice, you know, hand up. I think on on some late round competition here. I guess what I'm getting at now is 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 if the Steelers did draft an off the long uh, off the ball linebacker, it feels like it would be in the later rounds, correct? Yeah, even before the Muse signing, I kind of felt like just based on, you know, where Curry had gone for her big mid-round kind of guy, Dorian Williams, we're talking third round at best, probably more fourth rounder. That seemed to be, they weren't showing interest in those top tier inside linebackers. You know, Jack Campbell at that pro, at, the, at his pro day, uh, Tomlin and Conwar, but overall wasn't getting the sense. The question is, though, would they draft an inside linebacker at all? Because you do have, you know, four guys in that room right now. Um, you know, maybe an undrafted guy for the fifth. I mean, I've I've certainly had my eye and my thought on putting Herbig in my final mock draft. Do you think that is still a good way to go about that even after the Tanner Mew signing? I was thinking about ways of potentially wedging him in. <laughs> as, I was thinking as, fourth round, to be honest. As, as well, but now not. You're not to, anymore. Yeah, not 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 at, not after this. I'm not. Uh and look, once again, I'm 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 kind of wondering where he goes at you know is four two is four two early for him you know i don't think so i think fourth round is is solid uh i was thinking about ways of of getting him or or dorian in in a mock draft but now not so much okay because look we we've talked about how many seeming seemingly holes you know ways that the steers could go positionally in here and they're slowly you know, starting to at least cover up those holes with, with some loose dirt, you know? Yeah. Is that, is that good enough though for, for loose dirt? I mean, that's, you know, you want better depth there, better options. Cause Muse on defense, you really don't want him playing much on defense. Right. Like but, 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 but during his rookie season, would you want her big out there as well? Well, I mean, I get that. I mean, I understand, but you know, would you rather have the known guy in Muse probably just not going to be a defensive guy or try the unknown in her big and, and maybe you hit something. Well, I think it goes into Danny Smith's corner at that point, you know, uh, who he can bang the table for, for the special teams aspect. So once again, I, I, you know, uh, up until this morning, I was considering ways of putting a guy like Herbig in a mock draft. Not so much now. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I'm, I'm probably shifting that way as well. Um, all right, how far I went into the show? We're, we're 20 minutes in. I, I, there's still a lot of stuff I want to talk about here. But yeah, we, to... we've, we've teased it enough, haven't we? Yeah, so let, let's – there's so much going on today, you know, that we did not expect to be talking about here when, uh, last night for this Friday show. But let's let's dive right in, Dave. Let's throw to Dick LeBeau, a, a, a tremendous converse, conversation. Cannot thank him for his time, his, you know, being generous with his time talking with us. Again, thank you, Scott Brown, for helping to facilitate and coordinate the schedule this interview. Um, So without further ado, here is our conversation with Dick LeBeau. Does an orthopedic condition or sports injury have you sidelined? Make your comeback with GW Hospital Sports Medicine. We offer services from neck to toe, including care for shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, and hands. 
Plus, we're the official healthcare partner of GW Athletics, the DC Furies, and the DC Revolution. Get back to doing the things you love. Learn more at gwhospital.com slash sportsmed or call 888-4-GW-DOCS. Physicians are not employees or agents of this hospital. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as promised, a very special guest today on today's episode of the Terrible Podcast. Dave and I are pleased to be joined by Hall of Famer, Pittsburgh Steelers legendary coach, Coach Dick LeBeau. Coach LeBeau, we are so grateful and thankful and appreciative of your time. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing great. Anything connected with the Steelers is always great fun and wonderfully enjoyed by me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to just start off here. I know and we have to thank uh, our editor for Steelers Depot, Scott Brown, for putting us in touch with you, Coach LeBeau. I know he's writing a book. He's talked to you quite a bit. Can you just kind of go through the process of how the book got started and what you're kind of looking to tell, the story you're, you're looking to tell with this upcoming book? Well, the 2008 uh, Steeler defense, uh, now this is just my personal opinion, that's the best defense I've ever seen. And uh, uh, statistically, uh, they've set numbers. You know, I, I played, I came into the league in 1959 as a player. We played in the early 60s. We led the league quite a bit. And uh, teams ran the ball 65, 68% of the time and and threw it 35 to, you know, what, 32% of the time. And uh, their numbers, the guys, the Steelers' numbers in the 2008 season uh, were equal to and in many cases better than the uh, 1963 <laughs> defensive numbers. And so I said, that's kind of unusual. And, uh, I've always been a stat guy. I always kept set goals, and I, I've always uh, based our team goals around uh, validity of numbers, uh, not just pulling something out of a hat. And when I got looking at these numbers, I said, you know, I should write a book about these guys someday whenever I uh, retire from football. And that thought has always been in the back of my mind, uh, the sheer numbers and the, the success that they had in that uh, whole, uh, it was a 12 regular season and three playoff year, and uh, or 16 uh, regular season and three playoff year. But uh, I, I always, something I wanted to do, I didn't know I'd work till I was 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, if I'm going to write a book about these guys, I better hurry up and do it. So uh, I, I solicited Scott uh, for his expertise in, in that area. And uh, he's been great to work with. And uh, uh, George Von Benko has also helped, uh, helped me tremendously. But the, the whole uh, motivation behind it was the fantastic performance. I mean, you know, last year's uh, 49ers were a great defense and their statistics were great, but uh, they were shockingly way behind that 2008 defense. So uh, Co- that's, what, that's what the book's about. Coach LeBeau, obviously, Troy Polamalu was part of that great 2008 defense, and everybody knows about the Hall of Fame career that he had. Uh, I want to take you back to to, to uh, his rookie season, though, and uh, a lot of people don't 
you know, probably don't remember that, you know, wasn't statistically a great season overall for Troy Palomalo, but then he made that jump in his next season in, uh, in 2004, I believe there. Uh, and then what, what do you kind of, you know, what, what, what led to that second year jump that you can re- recall? Oh, that's, that's very easy to answer. I didn't get there until the second year. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, the, the uh, Steelers actually traded up in the draft to get Troy. Uh, I was coaching in, in another venue at that time. And uh, I had scouted Troy and worked him out when he came out of Southern California. And uh, when I, when I got there, uh, I knew uh, that this guy had phenomenal talent. And uh, I just thought it would be a, a, a matter of, a little bit of uh, uh, patience and, and uh, maybe a change of scheme here and there a little bit for him. And uh, I, uh, one thing that I had seen him do in college was cover punts, and nobody could keep him from uh, getting to the punt returner. And they they pretty much, uh, you know, once he became a full-time Southern Council uh, starter, he, he didn't cover as many punts as he did, but – when I saw him cover the punch, I thought, man, this guy, he's phenomenal. So when I became his coach, I said, Troy, look, defense ain't any different than covering the punch. you got to locate the ball and see where the blockers are and go get the ball carrier and, and get him on the ground. I said, the only difference is there ain't nobody punting when you're playing from scrimmage. That's <laughs> all I had to tell him. <laughs> Troy took over from there. But he, he's probably the most instinctive player that I've ever seen and explosive he could go from point a to point b so fast and so many times he would surprise the receivers ball carriers blockers at, at the uh, speed that he moved uh, acceleration and he was you know 216 18 pound guy big man but he was so quick and that was the thing that stood out when people watched him play uh, he was different than the other people on the field and that's why he became a, a member of the Hall of Fame. But all the uh, years that I was in Pittsburgh, I, I guarantee you, I had a thousand people come up to me and we'd chat and they'd say, I bet you can't guess who my favorite Steeler is. And I'd say, well, I bet I can. And they'd say, who? I'd say, well, it's Troy. Well, how'd you know that? I said, because you're the one thousandth person that's asked me that question. But uh, we didn't have to do much uh, just opened the door for Troy and he, he came in, set the table and, and the rest is history. Coach LeBeau, you mentioned how great the 08 defense was. And of course they made one of the greatest defensive plays, maybe the greatest defensive play in NFL history. James Harrison's pick six in the Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin was recently asked about his memory of that play. Can you take us through your memory of that play and the initial maybe surprise of Harrison dropping into coverage and the whole run back. Just what was your thoughts as you watched that play unfold? Well, I think that that is the best football, single football play that I've ever seen. Of course, it's a defensive play and I was definitely a defensive guy. I've never seen a better one. And in my mind, that's the greatest football play ever made. Well, we had, uh, played well in the first half and uh, had given up a couple of plays only. And one of them they scored on and another one they were driving down in there and they had the ball on or about our two-yard line. And 
I, I was looking up and saying, well, I said, if we can make them hold them uh, to a field goal here, we'll get out of here, you know, with a tie game at, at halftime. And uh, I saw them, they came up, it was, uh, I think it was uh, second down and three at the three. Uh, Might have been third, but I'm pretty sure it was second. Anyhow, uh, they came up and, and I saw them dropping the pass and uh, here comes James out of nowhere and picked that ball off. And as soon as he caught it, I started hollering. Of course, you can't hear it. Close to the <laughs> he was in the end zone. I started hollering, get on the ground, James. Get on the ground, James. Get down. Because, I mean, I was, we had it. We we were out of there with, you know, having the lead at halftime. And I thought, Ben, the only thing that can happen if he runs out of there with that ball is they might end up with it and get chance to kick the field goal and uh i i uh, i've often shown that play to many of our uh, teams uh, as a motivational play on that field there were 11 defenders james had the ball in his hand and nine other guys got blocks and some of them got two blocks on that return and the only one who didn't was way far over in the other corner when the receiver ran a corner route and almost went out of bounds. And everybody else got a block on that play. So by the time uh, James come up to me, I was probably standing on about the 35-yard line, and I'd been hollering, get on the ground, James, get down. <laughs> and when he, he, I saw he had a chance that something was opening up, I said, run, James, run. <laughs> <laughs> of course, again, I don't think James heard any part of that. But every step of that way, I'll remember that play as long as I live, actually. Uh, And Harrison, he fell into the end zone on his last step. And all those blocks, and some guys got two blocks on that play, every one of them were critical. And uh, in the end, uh, that was the difference in the game. Now, Ben had to pull it out at the end of the game with a remarkable, wonderful drive. And I'll never uh, take anything away from that particular aspect of us winning that game. And I'd say together, those two guys pretty much uh, put the bread in the oven for the Steelers that day. Uh, Coach LeBeau, another great player that you coached uh, during your time in Pittsburgh, Lawrence Timmons. Uh, I remember when he was drafted. I remember the press conference that uh, they had after that, and there was kind of the the question was asked, uh, is Lawrence Timmons going to be an inside linebacker or an outside linebacker because he was kind of so versatile and moved around, I think, at Florida State at the time. And it's, it's, it's always been a question on my mind. Uh, when he arrived in Pittsburgh, did you know right away that he was going to be an inside linebacker in your system, or was there a little bit of a filling out uh, process to see where he best fit? Well, we drafted him early, and, and many times uh, athletes that have shown enough ability and production uh, uh, at the college level to be taken early in the draft, uh, a lot of times it, you you have to take a look at for several different aspects of, as to where they might fit into your particular defense in the best spot. And uh, I think we went into that with a, with an open mind. And uh, we would, one of my tenets as a, as a defensive coach, uh, I didn't ask the players to fit so much in our system as I tried to build the system around what their strong points were. And uh, if you had a pass rusher like uh, 
James Harrison, I used to try to get him <laughs> rushing the passer as much as I could. <laughs> we would scheme to get him on some people that would have trouble blocking them. And uh, so uh, we would look at the talent of the people that we had and, and try to build uh, a vehicle for them to perform in. Uh, I think we did okay with Harrison, and I think we ended up with the right the right thing uh, for Lawrence also. Uh, he he has had size, speed, great instincts, good tackler, everything that that an early first round choice has, and uh, we were glad to have him. That and then oh eight, I think he got to work himself into that lineup some, and we had a great set of linebackers there. And uh, he, that's the best way to to break a kid in into the NFL, I think, where he doesn't have to start from day one, but he gets a chance to observe and practice with veteran players and, and, and see how they handle things in a game situation in a championship season where the game is actually on the line and your record's on the line for getting to the playoffs. And that he developed wonderfully. Uh, he was absolutely a great player, but uh, I don't think you could miss on him. He could, he's one of those guys that could have played any of those linebacker positions. Coach, you're, of course, known for you know being one of the godfathers of the zone blitz. Can you remember the first time you called a zone blitz or a zone in a game? I remember a story of, of it being back, I think, with Ken Riley. And you can tell me how accurate this story is or not, but the story was Ken Riley squatted in the flat and the quarterback threw the ball right to him for an interception. Just give me the, the first impressions of the zone blitz and the time you realized, hey, this system actually is going to work. Well... Uh, you have the story right, but uh, the player isn't right. Okay. Uh, it was it was Raymond uh, Griffin. It was Archie Griffin's uh, brother. The Griffin brothers. I think they had maybe four of them played uh, uh, college, big college ball, and, and on to the NFL. And their fifth brother was their lawyer and represented them in all their uh, professional contracts. So the family was well taken care of. <laughs> uh, but the first time that we actually called that defense, we, we blitzed the strong safety was David Fulcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the the fire zone uh, was a, a product of necessity from the uh, West Coast offense. And uh, they had it down pretty good for when you blitz the safety or if you blitz the corner or if you blitz this backer they would uh, break off routes and, and it was conditioned. They practiced it a lot and they pretty much had the answer uh, to zero blitzes. And my thought was, well, what if we created the zero blitz picture, but then trapped an area that they were going to break, break that route off. Uh, they knew where they were going when they blitzed. So everybody was in, in, in sync. And so knowing that, where they were going to go, I just did a couple of things with the players to put a player in that area with zone responsibility rather than man. And, uh, you know, this sounds pretty simple explaining it, but I went off the diving board into an empty pool many times until I was ready to try <laughs> in the game. <laughs> but uh, uh, the first time uh, we played, we ran it was in a preseason game, and the quarterback the tight end broke off right off the strong safety's blitz and the quarterback led him out into the flat where 
Raymond was sitting there waiting on the ball, and he ran it back in 45, 50 yards for a touchdown. And I said, well, we don't, we're not ready to go to the moon yet, but I think we've got something that we can work on. <laughs> uh, and I, when I finally thought that we were definitely on the right track, uh, quarterbacks, uh, you know, are pretty notoriously a fraternity, and they always, you know, after the game's over, they usually meet and chat a little bit. They're, they're, they're good, which is good. Uh, but we were playing uh, Miami in, in Cincinnati in a, in a night game. And, uh, we led, uh, Marino was a quarterback and Boomer Sison was ours two pretty fair quarterbacks. And we led the game almost the whole thing. And we, we had Miami bottled up pretty well. And, uh, Marino, the last quarter, the last drive really did the type of thing that he did so much of in his uh, NFL days. He took the team down and uh, scored, oh, I would say, in the last uh, 45 seconds or so, and they beat us. As I, as I recall, it was probably uh, 17-13 was the final score. Anyhow, after the game was over, Boomer and him were chatting like the quarterbacks did, and came in off the field and uh, Ben said or Ben uh, Boomer said coach I got something to report to you I asked Marino what was he reading on those pressures the zone pressures and, and he said Marino said well they told me a couple of things to look for uh, in the practice and, and on the game film but after uh Halfway through the first quarter, I just started looking at my guy and throwing it to him wherever <laughs> he was going. And I thought, well, if Marino's just uh, just reading on the run, that's what we're trying to get done uh, defensively and not let him know before the snap where to go with the ball, make him read it and throw it. So I knew it was a uh, proper thing. Just had to uh, get enough experience and, and actually have, have enough uh, wheels fall off the vehicle a couple of times until it was ready to play as a steady diet. Coach LeBall, I'm obviously biased. I believe you're uh, the best uh, defensive coordinator uh, this game has ever seen. Uh, I would be curious to know, was there any one offensive coordinator that you faced during your time in the league that, uh, that may have uh, had you have some restless nights uh, before some games? Well, any offense, not, I didn't never worry too much about the coordinator. He wasn't going to get out there, but obviously, you know, some of them are still in the league. And when they when they keep rent, winning like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs just won another championship, uh, there's not too many places that head coach has been that they didn't have pretty good offense. Uh, usually when a team is productive, uh, they've got – Excellent coaches, and, and well, always, but the players are the ones that, that keep you up all night because they're the ones going to be on the field and you got to stop. And, uh, you know, the great quarterbacks, so Peyton Manning, uh, I never slept too well before, without going <laughs> <laughs> against him because you could have the game won and he'd, he'd come back. And that's what the great was. I mean, I've, I've seen them all played against Unitas and uh, Bobby Lane, and, and I'm talking old-time stuff here, but they, in the fourth quarter, if they were within one touchdown of you, you could almost guarantee it was going to go into a tie game because they, they just had the moxie that could take the team down there. And all of, the, all of those great quarterbacks, and they're still there. I mean, it's no secret. The, the 
the best teams have the best quarterbacks, generally speaking. And uh, I would say this, I respected every offense that we had to defend. Uh, we didn't fear any, but we respected them. And uh, we probably didn't sleep that well until Sunday night and our game, our guys had played another good game and won for us because uh, I appreciate what you said, but I'm going to say this about that, about me being a good defensive coordinator. Uh, if I had success and I did have some, it's because I had the greatest defensive players in this, with the Steelers than anybody will ever see. Absolutely. Uh, some too, too many great players to, to name. Just to kind of turn that question a little bit, I, I think Steeler fans, they know so well all the, the Hall of Famers, the, the big stars, Troy, uh, others. Who is somebody that you consider to be underrated, even maybe from a Steelers fan perspective? Maybe maybe a starter, maybe a backup rotational type guy, but somebody that was a really important glue guy on those defenses throughout your Steelers tenure. Who would you say is that a really underrated guy that does not get the credit that he should? Well, that's an easy answer, and I'll get to that. But on that team, uh, the 08 team is what I'm most familiar with right now because we've been working on it for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we had, I always say, three most valuable players, uh, defensive players in the NFL on that team. Uh, James Harrison won. Troy Palomalo won. And I always say James Ferrier won. And Ferrier actually was a runner-up his year. But the player that, that won it that year, we beat them three times, and our defense uh, outscored them in every category. And uh, the James Ferrier was fantastically great uh, the whole year and was our team captain and leader. So I always say that I was blessed to coach uh, three most valuable players in the NFL. Uh, with that on the field at the same time, in the same defensive huddle, uh, you're going to have some success. The uh, the veteran players that were were there mostly, Aaron Smith had been there, mm -hmm. and Casey Casey Hampton uh, were there. James Ferrier was there. We picked him up in a uh, trade from the uh, Jets before I got there, and uh, uh, Chris Hoke was there. He was a solid defensive lineman, could play all three defensive spots. And the fourth one, uh, when he had to rush the passer on third down, uh, those guys, they were there. But uh, Kiesel had come off an injury as a rookie. Uh, Woodley was a rookie. Foot had been a fairly early draft choice, but hadn't played any. Uh, Harrison, we just picked up. You know, he'd been let go five times. Ike Taylor was drafted late from uh, Louisiana school and was a kickoff returner when, when I got there. And of course, Troy, you talked about his first year was not, uh, he didn't exactly set the world on fire. Deshae Townsend had started, I think, a couple games, but was uh, mostly a nickel player. McFadden and Will Gay were young players. We had picked up uh, Tyrone Carter, uh, from Minnesota. Uh, he was a very wily veteran, solid guy. And, uh, and Matt and uh, Anthony Madison, uh, I think from Alabama, he played as, as a extra corner, as a defensive lineman, like, uh, 
Chris Easton, who we picked up as free agents, and Lawrence Timmons, who was a young, a promising player. All those guys contributed uh, to setting marks. I really don't think anybody else is going to ever touch them again. Uh, records are made to be broken. Maybe somebody will. But the most undersung uh, player of all that defense, in my opinion, is Ryan Clark. Mm. And uh, Ryan, uh, Coach... Uh, Coach Cower was looking for a uh, uh, for a safety. He thought we needed a safety, and we he gave me the assignment to look at all the free agents that were available uh, that year. And I I did did my due diligence, and I said to the coach, I think that Ryan Clark is is the guy who would fit in with what we do and and, and the way we adjust and move and disguise. And uh, I see him, he doesn't miss tackles, and he's smart. He's obviously can make all the checks. I don't see him out of position, and I think he would really be a good safety force. And where, where he filled this out uh, was that uh, Troy was so creative, uh, you know, in his uh, extemporaneous uh, adjustments to the offensive formations and the pictures that he was seeing. And, and he could just react so quickly, and I don't. I don't know really how they communicated exactly because I watched him practice every day, and I would watch him in the game, and I could never see really exactly what the heck they were doing. But <laughs> wherever they went, they were like joined at the hip, and Ryan always, uh, always was there if Troy needed him, and together they gave us easily the finest pair of safeties in the league for so many years. And uh, you don't really hear uh, anybody talk that much about Ryan and and Troy, of course, because of of his great play in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I think that uh, he would tell you that Ryan is a a big part of him being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Coach LeBeau, we're winding you down here. We'll squeeze one more in possibly with you here uh, with the 2023 NFL draft uh, approaching here. Uh, Question I I always kind of wonder, does pounding the table for a player in the draft room happen? And can you remember an instance maybe in, in, in a draft room when you were with the Steelers where you were pounding the table, if indeed that happened for, for a particular player? Uh, I've, I've not seen too much pounding on the table, uh, particularly in the Pittsburgh draft room. Things were always pretty well organized. And we, you, you meet and you meet and you meet and then you rest a minute and then you meet and you meet and you meet. So by the time the draft comes around, every point of view has been pretty much hashed over. Uh, I do remember one, one story, uh, I'm uh, head coach in Cincinnati for quite a few years, and Ben had played at uh, Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the MAC uh, conference, they were one of the first conferences to play on any night of the week to get national television. And they were on television uh, on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. You'd get a MAC game. And uh, I got to watch Ben play. I think he came out as a junior, so his, I got to see him play three years. And uh, I was struck by how, uh, you know, you get get some pretty raw weather in western Pennsylvania where Pittsburgh is and uh, in Ohio where Ben was. 
and I saw how he played under adverse weather conditions. I never seen a quarterback play with any more uh, control of the ball and and could execute and and keep the offense moving. So we were talking about the, they had uh, three great uh, quarterbacks in that draft: uh, Rivers uh, from North Carolina State, and I think Eli Manning, I think, and uh, and Ben. I'm, I'm, I might be off, but I think I'm right on that. And uh, we were rating these guys all all the way through because we were going to take a quarterback. We were drafting pretty far down, 18th or something like that, and. Uh, we didn't know if any of those guys would get there, but if they did, we were going to take a quarterback. So at the end of all these draft meetings, uh, you'd say you get a vote, you know, and, uh, you know, when they categorize and they go on and, uh, you know, the only vote that really mattered was the, the, uh, GM and, and the head coach, you know, but we all <laughs> voted. So we going in to the last and, and the vote would always come out the same, uh, rivers would, was the guy we were going to take and uh uh coach cower uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, everybody had their ducks in a row so he, he said we're going to meet one more time on this quarterback situation and we were all sitting at a big long table and uh, bill said now i want to hear from everybody i want everybody's vote on who who we should take here if they get to us and Bill turned and he looked at me and he said, I don't want to hear from you, LeBeau. I know who you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's as close to pounding on the table as I ever got. That was a head coach pounding on me to shut up. You know? <laughs> as, as it worked out and, and all of the gold and black nation uh, will be forever blessed. The other two were gone, and Ben was still there, and, and we took Ben, and he turned out pretty good. I think. Yeah, he did. You're right. It was the 04 draft with Manning, Rivers, and Ben, and it's one of the wildest drafts with the, the Manning-Rivers trade. Just one last question for you, Coach LeBeau, and thank you again so much for your time. I got to ask you, though, can you share a favorite Dan Rooney story, a Rooney family story, being part of the organization for so long and knowing the Rooney family, I would assume, so well? Is there one instance of probably the many of the Rooney family, just their the way that they go about things, the way they run an organization, the way they, they treat and take care of people. Could you just share maybe one story that you remember from your time in Pittsburgh? Well, they're just an outstanding family and outstanding people. And uh, they they run their organization like they, they would a very tight-run family uh, operation. And I think... Uh, Truth is is the key word that I would say. Uh, I've never had a, a, any Rooney say anything to me that didn't come to pass if they said something was going to happen. And uh, I think that uh, the very fact that, uh, well, you know, uh, in terms of patience and trust, uh, the Steelers were, uh, for a long time, were not a real successful franchise. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the, they were still managed correctly. They were still very ethical. They were they were very, very physical and combative on the field. But the the seventies group, uh, I lived through this, and uh, and that group of people, you know, Bill Nunn was one of the uh, unsung heroes there of helping to pick out. Uh, 
outstanding athletes for them. And uh, that group of athletes that they got uh, in the 70s, where they became the boss of the uh, NFL, that's what turned the Steelers into, you know, the Steeler Nation is, it's everywhere. It's all over the world. You can say it's all over the country. It's all over the world. Right. And uh, they were the first ones to really have the tremendous success. And really, uh, along with some ups and downs that, that, that come with any athletic franchise, uh, the Steelers have pretty much uh, remained right at the very top. So I think that there was a combination of uh, talent meeting expert management. And uh, uh, I always felt that everybody under that roof was, was part of the Rooney family. And uh, that's the way they operated. And I'm sure that's the way they still do. Absolutely. Uh, Coach LeBeau, cannot thank you enough. We're, Absolutely. We're so thankful for the time to, to talk to us. We cannot wait for the book that comes out with Scott and, and the stories you'll tell about that 08 defense. Um, again, just thank you so much for your time and talking with us. Well, I enjoyed talking with you guys and meeting you, and I hope we meet again down the road somewhere. The doctor will see you now. But do they really? Do they see you as a mother who's a daughter and a caregiver? Fearless, but sometimes fearful. A health nut with a French fry habit. An O-positive geologist named Patty, who's here today for a melanoma exam. At Kaiser Permanente, we believe the only way to care for all of you is by seeing all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And Dave, what a what a joy, what a treat that was. And again, there is there's a hundred other questions I really wanted to ask Coach LeBeau, but uh, you know, just just really thankful for for him taking the time to talk with us, share those stories, to talk about his players. And I think you had mentioned it after we did the uh, interview the other day, just how humble and selfless he continues to be, certainly deserving of all the credit, all the superlatives in the world and he's somebody who's always deflecting and, and giving credit to others yeah look that was my main takeaway and 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 it's not a surprise right you go back in time and remember uh you know the interviews that he would have and he'd, he'd always he'd always talk about his players you know and as as hard as you try to get dick lebeau to talk about himself and 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 the great things that he obviously did you know, not only as a player in, in, in the NFL, but, uh, uh, also as, as a, uh, defensive coordinator and head coach and all like that. I mean, it, it, it keeps going back down back to the players there. So, uh, and look, I, you know, just to give people heads up, I wanted to, you know, some of the questions I have here in front of me still that, uh, uh, that I wanted to ask him, you know, 62 career interceptions during his uh, NFL career. I wanted to ask him about his favorite career interception of all of them. Uh, I wanted to ask him, ask him about the pro day uh, mm. memories, because remember Dick LeBeau was a state at the Ohio state pro day. Dick LeBeau was there, you right. know, and, and, you know, obviously going back several years, trying to remember the other pro days, but I was going to ask him about the, the pro day process and the value uh, to be gained there uh, was going to ask him about the smartest young player that he ever coached, you know, uh, film wise study. What, you know, who, who came into the league that he coached that, that was, you know, didn't need the coaching up on the film was going to ask him uh, 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 about that. And finally I was going to ask him kind of, kind of an out the door question. You know, he, uh, he was drafted into the fifth round, 
1959 by the Cleveland Browns and cut as a rookie. I was going to ask him, how did Cleveland mess that one up? (laughs) (laughs) In typical Browns fashion, even for that. Right, right. Yeah, I wanted to really ask him, and I was the last question I was debating, and and I'm sure people will say I should have asked the other one if we get Coach LeBeau on again. You know, maybe next year I'm going to ask him just about, you know, relationship with Tomlin and kind of the mesh between, you know, Tomlin being a Dungy guy, Bud Carson guy, you know, Tampa two cover two versus LeBeau being, you know, three, four fire zone, how they kind of try to make that work. Obviously, Tomlin retaining LeBeau whenever he was hired in 07. I wanted to maybe get LeBeau's thoughts on that, but um, ended up asking the other question there at the end. But again, you know, just just great answers and talking about Ryan Clark and the the thing that I'm not that I'm surprised by, but the thing I I, I noticed the most, most co- uh, talking with Coach LeBeau is just how sharp his memory is. I mean, asking about the first time he ran a fire zone, he can tell me who the safety was, who the quarterback was, who the corner was, the exact play. I mean, he's 85 Have you been able old. to find, you've, you found that clip by now, right? You know what? I, I What happened was, because whenever I asked the question, I and I, and I phrased it this way to, to ask about the accuracy, because uh, in, in Tim Layden's book, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, one of my favorite all-time football books, he describes the story of LeBeau first time running the fire zone, and it mentions Ken Riley. And I think I remember going back and trying to find that, and that something about the timeline didn't make sense to me. So I wanted to ask Coach LeBeau, and it wasn't Ken Riley. It was uh, it was it the the, the Manning, some Archie Manning, some, uh, there was some, something in there. I forget uh, Art, the name Art, was. Wasn't it uh, Art uh, Griffin? Uh, uh, or, okay, Art, yeah. Art, Archie Griffin, right? Okay, the interview was a couple of days ago, so I'm trying to think back to, to the specific one, one name. of the Griffins. Yeah, you can see how much better Coach LeBeau's memory is than mine. And, you know, right. something that happened 50 years ago, and I can't remember what happened two days ago in our conversation. Was but it, point was it is, Ray? Because uh, I'm looking here, is, I forget. Did he mention it? Was it Ray Griffin? Yeah, yeah, remember. yeah. Was it Ray uh, also play Ray. Yeah, Ray Griffin was a former cornerback, younger brother of two-time Heisman Trophy winner Archie Griffin, and also played college football with Ohio State and pro football for the Cincinnati. But I think it was okay. Ray Griffin he mentioned, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that sounds right. So anyway, um, yeah, just to, to for him to recall that kind of stuff, and I have not looked at that play. I probably shouldn't need to because I remember trying to find it with Ken Riley and coming up empty. So something to do. And then I love the answer on Troy and how he just kind of got Troy to. Everything's a punt, Troy. Just attack it like you do in the in the punt game, and, and that kind of helped turn his whole career around. Right, right. Uh, what is he, 85? 85, yep. Man. And you wouldn't bet, know it, though. I, yeah, and he's, I believe he's still active on the golf course and all like that as well, too. So uh, good for him, man. Uh, he's, 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 he's lived a life, hasn't he? Sure has. And so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Certainly a treat for us, I'm sure, and, and hope that it was a treat for you guys to hear from Coach LeBeau. So let us know your feedback on that. And if we ever do get the opportunity to talk to him again, let us know what you would like us to ask. If you could ask Coach LeBeau one question, what would it be? I'm sure you guys have a lot of uh, thoughts there. Absolutely. And uh, once again, shout out to uh, Scott Brown for making that happen. All right, Dave, but to finish up the inside linebackers, Devin Bush speaking with the uh, Seattle media yesterday on a radio show uh, hosted by KJR's Ian Furness and had some comments about his time in Pittsburgh, really twofold uh, of the notable comments the Bush made about the Pittsburgh Steelers. A was asked about, you know, how different the culture is in Seattle versus what he experienced in Pittsburgh. And Bush said it's a 180 degree difference to not go into details about what exactly that meant. but we can maybe surmise, obviously, Bush quickly fell out of favor with the fan base and ultimately with the coaching staff as well. And so a fresh start in Seattle. 
The most notable thing that was gaining all the headlines on Twitter, social media last night was Bush when asked about why Pittsburgh didn't pick up his fifth year option. Essentially, why didn't they try to keep him around? Bush saying, apparently, sincerely, I don't know. I've never been told an answer. I wish I knew why he was not kept. And I think the answers, even if you're the biggest Devin Bush fan in the world, are pretty obvious to why he's no longer a Steeler. Yeah, look, he could have done himself a favor and answered that question a little bit better, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to understand probably why he was asked that question the way he was. And to me, he would have been better off saying, look, you know, that that's in the rearview mirror now. They made their decision. Uh, I'm trying to move on. I'm working hard this offseason to to uh, to to you know uh, take another step forward. And, you know, I'm excited. But, you know, he could have played that off a lot better. And but the way he answered it kind of made it its own little story, if you will, there. And uh, now I think later on interview in the interview, he didn't he say something about, you know, he he. He did have conversations and, and all like that. But look, it, it, it wasn't even hard. And, and remember that his fifth year option was due a full year uh, out ahead. Right. But at, 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 you know, it wasn't a big surprise. I mean, that that season that he had came off of in. What would it have been? 2021. 21. Decision year. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, was it great? Right. You know, and it, it made the, the, the Steelers decision uh, really, really easy not not to pick up that fifth year option on him. And then fast forward through 2022, uh, he just he, he he never really technically has lived up to anywhere close to being the first round pick that that that, you know, that he was and all like that. So uh, his exit from from the Steelers this offseason shouldn't have shocked anybody overall. And. You know, he's going to be playing against, uh, obviously, a great talent there in, in, in Bobby Wagner in Seattle. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much, you know, how, how that impacts his play. Yeah, and, and people think that we're dunking on Devin Bush. And I think the comments he made about, you know, being mystified of why he didn't get the fifth-year option picked up, why he wasn't retained, I think they're pretty silly. I, you know, I think they're obvious, but... I'm not mad at Devin Bush. I wish him well. I want him to succeed in Seattle. Maybe he will. I think the change of scenery, you know, will be good for him. Not having the weight of expectations of that first round pick, trying to fill Ryan Chazier's shoes, which was a, a monumental task. It may help Devin Bush. And as you said, playing next to Bobby Wagner in that different system, again, may may all be good things for Devin Bush. But let's just not pretend that we don't know the reasons why it didn't work <laughs> with Devin Bush. They're pretty obvious. And it's not, it's not entirely Bush's fault. He got hurt. He tore his ACL for a speed guy like that. That's a very tough thing to come back from. And I commended Devin Bush for, you know, doing all he had to do to get ready to get healthy to start week one in, in 2021 to be ready for training camp even. So I think he put in a lot of work there to try to get his body ready, but it wasn't the same guy. Maybe, you know, loss of confidence in that knee. I'm not quite sure. Um, but, you know, the, he didn't play well. He got hurt. Um, it was going to be you know, the money to, to retain him. It, the, the reasons why Devin Bush is no longer a Steeler are obvious to anyone. And they should be obvious to Devin Bush as well. All he had to say was, you know, I, it just didn't work out. I got hurt. You know, I didn't have the best season. And, and it's a business. And they moved on. That's all you got to say. Right, right. And plain and simple. And he's now in new, new terror. And I think he had a, we haven't come across it yet, but I think he had a zoom meeting uh, yesterday with the media in addition to that radio interview. So to, we, we might uh, spend, spend today trying to look for that, comb through that. 
Just to bounce back to Bud Dupree one last time, according to Jeremy Fowler, and I'll just read the, the tweet here verbatim from three minutes ago. Quote, the Steelers were heavily in the mix on a Bud Dupree deal, but Dupree preferred a one-year deal. Steelers prefer two-year deals on contracts of substance, so Dupree is off to Atlanta. And so, again, I think contractually, the one-year deal with the incentive language, something that Pittsburgh uh, not willing to do, kind of similar to Terrell Edmonds. Less money, obviously, but you know Edmonds taking that deal with the incentive-based uh, seems to be, you know, the reason why Pittsburgh isn't retaining some of these guys. And look, didn't I say during this process here that, you know, it, it, the Steers might be angling for a two-year deal to try to keep that first-year cap hit down yes. and that Dupree probably was angling for a one-year deal so he can potentially maybe get one more bite of, bite of the apple a year from now. Right. Two-year deal kind of locks you in. If you have a, that bounce-back type season, you're not going to be able to capitalize that from a market perspective, for agency perspective. So, yeah, I think that I tweeted out a little bit ago the reasons why I think Dupree you know, is going to Atlanta is is the contract, maybe a bit more opportunity for playing time in Atlanta, and Georgia being home for him are probably the three main reasons why he's a Falcon instead of returning as a Steeler. You know, they could have very easily done something around, you know, uh, a a two year, $12 million contract with him, you know, with uh, 6 million in, 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 in year one. And in essence, still keep his cap hit under $4 million uh, that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I think we covered that in a pre, you know, the way the steers might try to attack it with him. If indeed he wanted more than, let's say $4 million in a single year. So I believe every bit of what Jeremy Fowler's just, just reported about four minutes ago. And I also believe the fact that uh, uh, the reason why Bud Dupree turned that down is the fact that he just only wanted to do a one-year deal uh, so he could potentially take a bigger bite of, bite of the apple a year from now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right, Dave, get back to Steelers news here in terms of some draft coverage. Uh, I think yesterday, we'll see about today, but yesterday, Thursday might have been the final day for Pittsburgh to host some pre-draft visitors, and they had a pair in West Virginia wide receiver Bryce Ford Wheaton and Bowling Green defense lineman Carl Brooks. Now, I believe that Ford Wheaton is a local visit because he's from WVU, does not actually count against that allotted 30. Um, Brooks obviously does, and so... Those are potentially the last two. Maybe somebody comes in today, but typically I think, you know, I'm expecting Thursday to be that last day of those visitors to come in. Yeah, I think unequivocally today is the last day, isn't it? Or was yesterday the last day? It's one of the two because now you're in that two week window uh, of the draft. Now, I don't know if Zoom meetings can if, if Zoom meetings can be done, you know, from this point forward or not. And didn't we come across the. uh kind of the older news uh, yesterday when we were chatting that is it three zoom meetings that teams are allowed in addition to the top 30 visits, or is it, uh, uh, you know, how, how many zoom visits can they have? It is three one hour zoom meetings that teams can have. Yes. Okay. All right. So I, I, I think now we have the list. Now the only thing is, is can we go back and find the guys that quote unquote reportedly were set to come in? Did they come in? Sure. Guys like Daywan Jones and Keely Ringo, players that reportedly Ger- Jervon were Dexter, too. We don't right. have a date on Jervon Dexter, do we? Correct. We do not. Now, I, I will say, I believe visits can technically go into next week. I saw that Will Levis, CJ Stroud have visits set up okay. next week. So, are those, you know, maybe. I don't know if those are workout. I don't know. 
but I don't know if they're workouts. I think they're visits. Now, I think Pittsburgh typically just historically have kind of ended about two weeks before the draft. And so that's why I say I think maybe Thursday, Friday is going to be the last day for them. Obviously, quarterbacks, different case because they are so busy and they're doing so many things, wearing so many hats. So I'm not going to say 100% guaranteed they're done, but you know, they're, they're, they're at like 28 names that we know. Uh, reportedly or confirmed to come in. So if they're not done, they're they're pretty darn close. It's been a long time since we've had, uh, con- you know, confirmed in a confirmed in list this long. I think right. 2019, because you had the COVID years where there weren't any. Last year, we only knew 13, and most of them were quarterback driven. And so yeah, you have to go back to 2019 for the last time to have like a really full set of visitors uh, listed out. All right. Uh, the why uh, uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton uh, contested catch guy uh, athleticism off the charts. Uh, he's got some drops in his tape. You know, a guy that I uh, remember looking at back at the Shrine Bowl weekend. Uh, seemed like he predominantly played X, but did move around, did play a little bit in the slot, did play, I think, a little bit as, as a Z. So he's got some position flexibility with him proximity being so close to Pittsburgh and obviously with him, you know, playing against Pitt and uh, all like that. They, they, they've got to know a lot about this kid uh, at this point. I believe it was, wasn't it Mike Butler at, at his pro day? Yes, it was Butler and maybe Casey Weidel. I'd have to go back and check, but um, at least Mike Butler. All right. So uh, he's a guy that could potentially be in the mix for the Steelers in the middle of rounds and uh, would, 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 would call Brooks. I mean, that's, that, that's not surprising at all because Carl Dunbar was at that uh, pro day. He's a guy from a measurable standpoint that, that sort of checks a lot of the boxes there. So uh, Carl Brooks coming in out of Bowling Green, not, not a huge surprise. No, it's not. And this is not brand new this year, but I've seen a lot of guys where positional coaches go to a pro day and then that guy comes in for a visit like Zavala, uh, the guard from NC State. Pat Meyer was there. He came in for a visit. Carl Brooks, another example. I think there's a couple others, but Brooks, you know, I just talked about on Wednesday's show that after signing Pahoko, signing Watts, kind of getting those base nose tackle one tech types, could this team look for more of that three tech pass rusher with some juice and Carl Brooks? I think it was a name that I mentioned and kind of really one of those guys. And so he's got high level production in the Mac, really good athlete was a linebacker initially bulked up, you know, playing more inside, but still rushed off the edge uh, quite a bit at Bowling Green. So he's, you know, really active hand use, um, a guy that can certainly get after the quarterback with a hot motor. So, you know, could that be a guy in say round four. three, you three, think three, four, yeah, four. three, three, yeah. four, something like that for car books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they don't grab one in the first two rounds, he becomes, he, he, you have to think he's, he, 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 he's in their sights in the middle rounds there. And then with Ford Wheaton, I have not studied him intently, but you know, obviously the, the RAS scores off the charts, height, weight, speed guy. But I know some people have concerns. Does that really translate to the tape? And does he get separation? You know, is he going to be another one of those classic guys that looks good running, but really can't separate and you know, doesn't pan out because of that? Yeah, look, uh, but the Steelers do like those contested catch guys. Now, unfortunately, though, there are some nasty drops in that tape. Mm, okay, fair enough. I see uh, kind of mid-round. What do you pick his stock? Yeah, about? probably fourth. And, uh, you know, obviously the Steelers don't have a, a, a fifth or a sixth right now. But uh, a guy that I would say anywhere from the fourth to uh, late fifth. Maybe, okay. may, maybe if he slid early sixth, but this isn't overly, it's kind of a, 
this wide receiver class isn't great top to bottom uh, overall. And it's not top, top heavy. And there's a lot of those, you know, fourth, fifth round guys that teams could utilize. Sure. Gotcha there. Gotcha. All right. Good deal. All right, Dave, uh, you, you dove into some tape last night, some Lucas Van Ness. And so kind of explain the background of what got you diving into his tape on a, on a Thursday night and your takeaways. Yeah. And we, we had previously talked a few times, not at great depth about, uh, Lucas Van Ness and, you know, in early in this kind of pre-draft process. And I, it was kind of, uh, uh Ray Fittipato from the uh, post-gazette was on 93, seven, the fan. And, uh, for those that don't know, I think right out of shoot with, with one of Ray's early, or maybe his first mock draft, even I think back in, I don't know, January, uh, he had Van Ness, uh, as the Steelers 17th overall pick. And, you know, they, they kind of recirculated, uh, Ray's thoughts on him and Ray, Ray still firmly believes that Van Ness could, could be in the Steelers sights at 17 overall. Now, without a doubt from a lot of the blues clues, things that, that we like to look at, I mean, they were at the Iowa pro day. I think from an athletic standpoint, uh, Van Ness checks a lot of, you know, all the boxes, probably if you, Mm -hmm. if you, if you look at that aspect, uh, I, I, we, and I think the bulk of our conversation early was the build with him, you know, uh, the, the weight specifically and what is he, is he an edge? Is he an interior, you know, uh, defensive line guy. And, you know, I had already watched, I think a game and a half of, of, of film on him prior, you know, to all this, but I, I, I wanted to go back last night and say, am I missing anything here? You know, and we had a quick little DM chat, you know, in, on, on, on Twitter yesterday afternoon, I said, look, I, I just need to, you know, uh, dedicate an hour to this guy. Um, my, one of the things I want to talk about first and foremost is what is he at the NFL level? And if you go back and you look at, and here's the thing, the last two seasons at Iowa, he never hit the, I don't think he hit the five, the, the 500 snap mark in his, in his, in his two seasons at Iowa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they played in each of those two seasons. I think, you know, what a total of 1800 defensive snaps or something like that. So, uh, you know, he played why a, why did he play half the snaps? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the the story is there is that I was very old school and they, the, the, the seniors get to start and and the underclassmen rotate in. And so that's kind of the way they do things right or wrong. And that's kind of the system they have over there in Iowa. Okay. But, uh, if you, if, 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 you're an ass kicker, so to speak. You're going to be on that field. To me, you know, I, I don't know why you don't put your best players out there more. You know, no, it's nope. fair. It, it's okay. it's still a smaller sample size for us to watch, regardless of the reason. Sure. Okay. So you've got let's let's call it not even a thousand snaps over two seasons. All right. Okay. Um, I think around f- half of those, around five hundred something snaps, were him in the B gap. Okay. All right. I think another. 200 and something of them, uh, were him, uh, a little bit more than that were him either uh, outside of that or, or outside the tackle and more of kind of, uh, you know, uh, a wide nine. Okay. So 
there's not a overall, there's not a lot of tape of him overall as an edge. Okay. Uh, now you look at his sack reel overall, there's very low. There's a very few amount of, of what we would deem high quality sacks in there overall. Now, without a doubt, this kid uses his arm. He's got long arms, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got a hell of a bull rush off of that. He's got a good get off, especially from a, from, from a down, down position, interior offensive line. Uh, so he uses, you know, I think the, the, the thing that you'll notice that sticks out the most of on him either in lined up inside or outside, he's got a hell of a bull rush, uh, not much bend that I can see overall, uh, not much of a, uh, to me overall, a pass rush menu out on the edge. And now he can separate, you know, uh, against the run by using those long arms once again against the run and all like that. I just wonder, you know, my, my main takeaway from him is there's a lot of bits and pieces from, from, from the along the defensive line and, and out to the edge there of, of good tape with him overall, you better have a plan of what he's going to be at the NFL level. And I also went back and I, I last night, I watched a little bit of an interview, a podcast interview that Thomas Dimitrov did. Mm-hmm. Uh, this off season here, and obviously former GM and people can say, well, he's, he's a former GM for a reason now. Okay. I, I, I get it, but this is a guy that's been in, in the NFL circles here. And here's the other thing about real quick about Van Ness is like, I think like something like a 33% pressure rate, you know, which is <laughs> incredible, but mm-hmm. you're dealing with a smaller sample size there as well too, you know, um, Dimitrov in so many words said, look, you, you know, how are you, if you're going to draft this kid early, especially first round, how are you going to get him on the field for more than 40% of the snaps? You know, and what's the long-term outlook for him? Let's say specifically if he was drafted by the Steelers. Uh, he's a kid that went from like 240-something pounds up to 270, what is he, what was he at the combine? 74, 72, 76? 272, yep. All right, 272. Uh, you know, ideally for 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 the perfect Steelers defensive tackle, those guys get up closer to 300, right? Yeah, I just don't see him having the, I mean, he's got a frame, but to become you know, like a 295-pound guy, then you worry about, you know, losing athleticism. To me, if he were to be drafted in Pittsburgh, he'd be an edge. I mean, he'd drop down to 260, 265 and, and be a, a big edge rusher. Uh, more so than an inside guy. Okay, let, let, let's assume that would be the case. You know, do you have enough edge tape to 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 project him out at the NFL level? You know, as a yeah. first rounder. Sure, it sounds like there's not enough tape at any one position to really get a maybe a great evaluation of him, regardless of what role you wanted to be in. Just because he's not played a ton of football, based on the kind of antiquated way that Iowa does things. I'm not saying this kid's not talented. I just, if, if you're a GM and you're, you're picking in the first round with a guy that played not even 500 snaps, the, the, and it'd be one thing if he played all 500 at one position too, you know, but sure. they moved, they moved them up and down that defensive line. 
to my, my main takeaway is this is a kid that could get you fired. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, uh, you damn sure better be right with the projection. He's a projection kid. I think at, at this level, I'm not saying he won't become great at the NFL level because there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good aspects in his tape. And this is what uh, Thomas Dimitrov's takeaway was as well, too. He says he's a good player, but is he a very good play? You know, can he become a very good player? Mm-hmm. And and you better have a damn specific plan in your projection with him. And he, he better hit it uh, because you're, because of the tape limit, uh, le- you know, limitations that you have on him and the positional, how much he moved around, it makes to it makes him an incredibly hard player to project at the NFL level. I know that lines have blurred between three, four and four, three, even fronts, odd fronts, you know, defenses are multiple, but I, I view Van Ness as that classic four, three base defensive end, six, five, 272, 34 inch arms. That seems to be the system. He's going to fit the best. And I think you're right. You know, he could be a good player, you know, a five, six sack a season type of a guy. But is that a first round pick that you're going to hang your hat on? And especially in Pittsburgh, if he's an edge guy, automatically a number three is the value in terms of what he's going to be able to, to offer you from a snap count perspective, what he's able to do, what his ceiling is. I don't know if that makes sense for me. My, you know, I was thinking, OK, well, where would I take him at? Uh and and this is in no relation to 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 what he won't become or will become or anything like that. I I couldn't get out of my head the fact that because he's such a projection guy, yet there are good traits there that I don't think I'd touch him until the third round. Okay. Wow. Gotcha. Where would you play him if, if you were an NFL team trying to evaluate what position he plays best? Regardless, even putting Pittsburgh aside for a second, just overall, what is his best? NFL scheme fit. Uh, it feels like it would be a base end, a four-three base end. Okay, yeah, strong side can play the run. Strong dude, you know, going to get your five-six sacks. Not going to have a twelve-sack type of season. Be be solid, but is that you know top ten or seventeen worthy? Who who is the Bengals end right now? Uh, uh, Hendrickson, not Henderson. Hubbard? The other one, Hubbard. Okay, you uh, seen some Sam Hubbard? Yeah, I, I, I kind of get that feel out yeah, of, uh, of, of, of of a ceiling. I like that. It's a pretty good comp. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. You know what I'm saying? So uh, you wish Ray, you'd be Trey, Trey Hendrickson to get your 12 right, and a half sacks, but right, you see him right. up to get your five, six, you know, sacks. And look, this is a guy that even might can, can come into the NFL and limited snaps, you know, as a situational player, especially as rookie season, get you six sacks. Yeah, Here, here's my, my counter to all of this, though, putting just the tape aside. So why was Pittsburgh at that Iowa Pro Day? Why did home, why did Mike Tomlin Omar Khan make the trip to Iowa? It might be, and we'll obviously find out. But it, you know, there there are a lot of players there, right? Well, uh, I mean, Ma, Riley, uh, uh, it, it, Riley it, Moss, yeah. But when they go, they go for the the top dogs. They go for guys that I mean, because obviously the correlation between. Well, yeah, first you got Jack Campbell there. You got don't you have the tight end there? Uh, yeah, there's talent. There's for sure talent. But I mean, they, they go to places that have a lot of talent, like you're mentioning, but also, you know, first round guys are really looking at. They want to get eyes on. And Van could Ness it, is going to be the only first round. Could have been a time killer on the way to uh, 
uh, Iowa State to see the wide receiver? <laughs> well, I viewed it as like Iowa State was just because they were in the area. Because why Why go to Iowa State? Because what first-round guy are they looking at there? Well, McDonald, I mean, it kind of also calls into question that. All right. Uh, we're just it, two it, weird trips. We have two weeks to find out, maybe to 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 uh, you know circle back on on this kind of stuff to put the pieces back together from from what they did. But uh, uh, my my take and look, I mean, they've already got DeMarvin Leal, right? Right. Who's who's, who's slight who weighed slightly more than than Van Ness did, you know, coming out, and we still don't know what Leal is, right? And how right. would drafting Lucas Van Ness impact? Not not that you matter. I mean, you, you get get the best players out there, right? And and I mean, but it it it, 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 it kind of makes the Leal. It'll it would make you question the Leal selection even more. It's a little hat on a hat, kind of getting similar guys, a little betweener, trying to you know play outside, kick inside. It's all a little redundant. So let me just ask you. Do you think Van Ness is in serious play for Pittsburgh at 17? I know we're all guessing. No one knows. And he checks the boxes. But is he a real option if he's there at 17? Uh, look, uh, this uh, you, you, you set me up to get hung by the tongue here. But uh, I'll, I'll say it first. I don't think he is. I might be wrong. I may uh, okay. come back and, and be bitten on I, I, I say unequivocally no. <laughs> okay. Now, if he is, I mean, uh, people have heard our reasons. This is why I wanted to go back to him because – you know, a Fittipaldo talked about him, you know, yesterday, and we talked about him early in the process and, 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 and kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak there, but you look at the other blues clues that we go by with, you know, athleticism and, and pro day and, and, and yada, yada. And he checks all the but good kid. I mean, very clean prospect as far as I can tell, sure. you know, uh, but I, I thought we owed it to, you know, ourselves and the listeners to, to circle back and have a good conversation about him. Sure. Because he does check the boxes, regardless of what we think, what we like, what we don't like, he checks the boxes and what a Pittsburgh Steelers first round pick is. Now, if he, if he is the, if he is the guy at 17, God bless him. I just, I, I would be interested to hear what the plan is, is with him. Let me throw out one more name at you in a similar vein. If he, if he if he weighed like twelve or thirteen more pounds right now, I could I could I I might feel, you know. But but even so, you know the the amount of snaps and all like that, he's an incredibly hard projection player from where I sit for what the Steelers do. Well, if he weighed that twelve or thirteen more pounds, he'd be the guy I'm about to talk about, Keon White from Georgia Tech who I think is most interesting because there are 17 prospects who are been invited and will be attending this year's draft. And probably the most surprising name of that 17 is Keon White. We viewed kind of more solid day two guy, but not really in the first round conversation for the draft to invite him. They're typically pretty good about getting the sense of who's going to be first round picks, maybe early second round picks. So for Keon White to go, I know 17 is a big stretch. They were not not at that Georgia Tech Pro Day, but White, let's just talk about him in general. And then even at 32, if he does happen to be maybe that one guy that falls out of the first round, I mean, he, you know, trying to find that body type, 6'6", 285, 34-inch arms. Pittsburgh brought him in for a pre-draft visit. There's some interest there. 
Yeah, that's another interesting one. And I haven't gone as deep on his tape, obviously, now at this point, as, as because Van Ness became my hot button yesterday. Right. Now, White's got the production. I think he's a senior. He's played more football. I don't have exact snap counts in front of me. Um, and I need to watch his tape. You know, well, let, more let's as circle well. back to that next week. Okay. Because I, I want to dive deeper into his tape. Okay, fair enough. But I do want to mention that because I thought the draft invite was really interesting because, and sometimes the NFL misses and generally there's about one guy of the, the invites that becomes a second rounder. Last year, they invited the quarterbacks and Corral and Willis and those guys tumbled into the, th- the third round. So it's not a hundred percent guaranteed, but you know, you would, you would say that white would be a top 40 pick if he's getting the invite to the draft. Now he's more of an edge than Van Ness is coming out though, isn't he? No, I think he play inside 285. I mean, you buck him up a little bit. He'll be interior guy. All right, so let's let's let let me dive back down because I I think I've only done kind of surface stuff on him and 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 I want to I want to dive deeper into him like I did with Van Ness. So let's let's do him on on Monday or Wednesday of next week. And All right, he'll be another guy I think in the roundtable next week that we discuss too, right? Yeah, we from today we'll have our our last uh, draft roundtable with the uh, the rest of the guys whose names are escaping me right now. We'll have Jonathan and Josh and. A couple other guys on as well for a roundtable right before the draft starts. Okay. All right. Last thing I want to talk about really briefly here. Big Ben in the headlines. Uh, his podcast, uh, last episode of the football and podcast or vlogcast, whatever you want to call the thing, uh, went up and Ben had some words about Lamar Jackson saying the teams don't fear his accuracy, fear him from the pocket the way that they do uh, him as a runner or Matthew Marksy. Wrote about that, and lo and behold, the rest of the NFL world caught on to those those comments and started writing about it as well. RG three, you know, criticizing Ben for tearing down Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Jackson a, a, a hot button name right now, given the whole contract situation. So, to me, I think it's all a bit blown out of proportion. But what are your thoughts here, Dave? Real quick, I just pulled up some uh, uh, alignment stuff on 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 Keon White uh, B gap. Over a course of three three seasons, 19, 2021, 2022. What was the deal with him in 2020? Do you know? He's an Old Dominion transfer kid. I don't know if okay. he had gotten hurt. Or, or actually, they, was there even Old Dominion playing football in 2020? They, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so at, uh, in, in 1921, and, okay, let's take his last two seasons in, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know how much he played in 21, but definitely played a, a fair amount in 22. Uh, in 21 and 22 combined, B-gap snaps alignment, 44. Okay. Uh, over the tackle, uh, 108 snaps. Uh, outside the tackle, 499. Okay, but he's 285. I mean, is he going to play on the edge in Pittsburgh? Well, I guess that's another one of those going to be another one of those projection things, right? I guess, but I mean, because when they drafted Leal, he was 283. They wanted to play him inside. I think with White at 285, in terms of I'm talking about like NFL projection, I think he'd be more inside. Okay, because he'd have to drop down, you know, quite a bit to to play on the edge in Pittsburgh. All right. Well, then we're back to not a lot of tape of him doing that. Yeah, I think again trying to I mean trying to find those like base ends in Pittsburgh it's is tough, tough now. to do. Yeah, yeah. there aren't and many it, body it, types like that. Right, and it has been for years now. That's why when you go even to, you know when we come out of the season and start getting ready for the the senior bowl and and taking a quick look at this class, uh 
you, I mean, you can't help but immediately go to, you know, the, the, the senior bowl measurables on a lot of these kids, right? You know, start looking for what, 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 what matches up. And, you know, that's why you come away with those, with, with the Bentons mm-hmm. and, uh, you identify early the guys like Javon Dexter and the guys like Brzee when it when it comes to that body type. But as we've seen over the last several years, those Cameron Haywards just don't come. Those Cameron Haywards and Stefan Tuits just don't come out every year. Right. Know? They're they're getting rarer and rarer to me as guys get smaller and which and makes you wonder becomes... maybe they are adapting some of the things that they're looking for. They could be. Absolutely. It, it's tough to replace a Cam Hayward when it, when it comes time to replace him. But yeah, I just see Keon White, you know, just a listing 6'6", 285, 34-inch arm. If you try to make him, you know, a uh, four-eye and, and, and playing inside a bit because he's got a, a size that uh, and a length that most people got most people don't even have because Dexter and Brzee, they don't even have that kind of length. They're, they're pretty short. So, I mean, it's like White and Benton and Massey Smith in terms of the guys that have really good length uh, that could play inside. All right. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I pulled those that 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 up. Where, where were we uh, on Ben and Lamar? Just your thoughts on, uh, you know, Ben's comments that have created this Internet firestorm. I mean, this is what Ben does best at, at times. And, and, I, you know, does he specifically do? I think what he meant to say was and, and you know, part of part of the quotes back this up there. You're more worried about what what Lamar Jackson does with his feet. Yeah, that's how I took it as yeah, a, a, maybe an overly simplified comment, but basically just saying like Jackson is at his best when he's able to be dynamic and scramble, extend the play. And you know, that's what he's proven to do. So I, I, I didn't view it as this. I think the way he worked, I think the way he worded it, you're like, you're not concerned about him as more, more of a pocket passer. He, 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 he could have done himself a better favor by not saying that specifically. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think he was oversimplified in kind of the analysis. I don't think right. he was trying to offer this like super hypercritical analysis either of, of Lamar. And, he's, and he probably could have been more careful with his words, but I, I didn't see it as you're tearing Lamar Jackson down. This isn't, you know, Bill Polian telling Lamar Jackson to go play running back it, or wide receiver. Right. But it is easy to frame it that way. Oh, yeah. If you take the clip out of context in 18 seconds and, and nothing else. And then you got people with the stats about, you know, look at Ben's QBR in the pocket. Hey, Ben never said he was a good pocket player in, in in this contact about or context about you know older the further you go back you know completion percentage is lower quarterback ratings lower so over time numbers naturally go up as offenses become more refined i think it's a little silly there so you know to me this is kind of all a, a silly story it, 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 it's white noise in april and when it comes out of ben's mouth on a podcast it's easy to uh make it make it a national story two weeks ahead of the draft when it's mock draft city (laughs) right now. Right. Sure. I'm with you there. So I just want to mention those comments and, you know, to me, it's a story that'll go away by tomorrow, by the weekend, but it's out there right now. Right. All right, Dave, a jam packed show today. Anything else here that I'm missing that you want to want to get to? I don't know. I think we tore it up pretty good. Didn't we? Yeah, I know the show's running a bit longer today with the LeBeau interview, but I think uh, we'll make the exception there, of course, for for Coach LeBeau. So let's get through some reader emails and close out today's show, Dave. All right, Xavier Robinson writes in, Dave and Alex, thank you guys for tremendous offseason content. Nobody, nobody is as in tune with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Steelers Depot team, and that becomes more clear each offseason. Thanks for that, Xavier. I hate 
mock draft season. <laughs> he says, I hate mock <laughs> draft season. I, I, I hear you, Xavier. Uh, but the one thing I do pay attention to is the Vegas odds. He says right now they have the line for Joey Porter Jr. at over under 16.5 with the betting favorite being over, meaning picked after pick 16. Vegas believes the Steelers are probably going to have Joey Porter sitting there for them. And I think that's the most likely scenario. It is where need value familiarity and talent all intersect at the highest point. It simply makes the most sense. He says, if you guys were to bet on Joey Porter line today, would you take the over or under 16 and a half? He says, I believe the best tackle available would be the pick at 32. Your detail, you've detailed all the options very well, but could you talk more about Anton Harrison? Uh, have the Steelers been reported uh, have the students been reported to have met with him at any point? Yeah, they brought him in for a pre-draft visit. Uh, what is your opinion on him? Thanks for answering my questions. Oh boy, that's a that's an interesting line at that sixteen and a half. And I don't know, Alex. My my gut tells me to take the that he would be on the board at seventeen, essentially. So taking the over at sixteen and a half. But he was a guy that's been invited. One of the seventeen, at least that we know of, that's been invited to the uh, to to the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of teams that you think, man, will he make it past them? Kind of thing. I but just my gut makes me feel he'll be on the board at seventeen. So I would take the over. Uh, Anton Harrison, a a, a a a a talented guy, both played on both sides of uh, the line in Oklahoma. You could definitely see why he is in that next tier of tackles. I think, and the Steelers have had some interest in him in this pre-draft process. Yeah, and a left tackle, and it'd be an easier, I think, try to to fit him in there to battle Dan Moore than playing right tackle, and how do you move Chooks, who's going to start, and try to make him left tackle, and if the rookie doesn't work out, then Corfor's got to flip back. It it becomes messier to to handle all that. Yeah, with Porter, I'm really kind of on the bubble with that one. I wonder, is he going to get William Jackson by Washington at 16 who need a corner. And and that's kind of where, you know, a lot of teams are, or a lot of mocks are projecting Porter to go, but obviously, you know, it'd be no surprise if Porter was the guy just given uh, all the, all the dock connecting that we can do when it comes to him. And listen, you got four quarterbacks that are going to go, you know, maybe two corners and Witherspoon Gonzalez, Will Anderson, Carter, does Porter get pushed down and all of that. He, he might. So I, I'm very much on the fence about that. And just, one other piece of news, because why not for today? Uh, not related to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but the Pittsburgh Penguins have fired Brian Burke, Ron Hextall, uh, Chris Pryor. So the Penguins are cleaning house. All right. Uh, I, I'm guessing Mike Sullivan survives, though, right? It, they've not mentioned Sullivan, so it, it appears that he's staying. Uh, at the very least, uh, no announcement on him today. All right. Daniel Wilson writes in, with all the interest in the day two guards and no tackle depth, do you think Sayamalo will be playing tackle? My first answer to that would be no. Uh, Dan Moore then becomes a swing, and then Herbig Dotson and a rookie com- compete for left guard. Just a thought. Obviously, depends on how the draft goes. Uh, Sayamalo is not a, not 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 a tackle. Yeah, I mean he played some of there at Oregon State, but NFL he's a guard. He was signed to play guard. Right. Uh, Brett Nile, David Alex. Uh, quick question about three remaining free agents. He says, I have to believe Tomlin wants Benny Snell back, but he has not not been signed. Do you think Snell's camp is waiting to after the draft to see if they can find a spot spot where he can get more playing time? 
Uh, do you think he will ultimately sign back with the Steelers? He's got a kind of a company question there. Are you surprised Boykin is not re-signed? He says, I am. Do you think it's about money or playing time? Again, do you think he will sign with the Steelers after the draft? And number three, are you surprised that Rudolph is signed, not uh, not signed anywhere yet? He says, I won't ask you to rehash the past, but do you agree with me that the longer he stays unsigned, the more likely he is to become the number three quarterback uh, by the end of training camp. He says the draft coverage has been fantastic. And while I really miss hearing from Dave T. Thomas, may he rest in peace. I think you'd be proud of the job you guys have done. And generally, especially the roundtable discussions, just wanted to say, look, I've thought about Dave T. Thomas several times mm-hmm. uh, through this process here. Throw one name out, get five back. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, we we do miss. Uh, there there won't be a draft that goes by or a pre-draft process that goes by. No long no no matter how long I live, that I won't think about some of the great discussions we've had with Dave T. Thomas over the years. Alex, roll through Benny Snell. Uh, look, Benny Snell. I, I think Mike Tomlin does want it back. I, this might be two-headed here. I I think the Steers will probably sign him back tomorrow if they uh, if he'd sign a one-year veteran benefit contract with no signing bonus. And I think the same probably goes for, for Miles Boykin as well, too. So how much of this is related to 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 Snell and Boykin saying, yeah, let's just wait, you know, uh, uh, and see how the draft play. There's no reason to think they wouldn't want those two guys back, at least for camp, on minimal value deals to see where it goes. Yeah, I think you're 100% right about that. Both quality special teamers, both quality locker room guys that have uh, carved out a niche uh, on, on this team. But as you said, you know, those guys can probably wait. Those offers are probably on the table. They're not going to go anywhere. So, you know, just, you know, see if anything else comes up. If you're Snell, if you're Boykin, just kind of, you know, you're not in a big hurry to go sign that that low-level type contract with Rudolph. I just don't see him coming back to Pittsburgh. I think eventually, you know, quarterback gets hurt somewhere. I am a bit surprised. I'll admit that he's not signed somewhere by now um probably one of the best uh free agent quarterbacks still out there but i mean he comes into pittsburgh he knows he's the number three he knows he has really no chance to play unless there are serious and multiple injuries just with the way that you know he probably was thought he was treated in pittsburgh not that fairly didn't get a really you know fair shake um right or wrong that's probably his feeling and so you know do, do the odds go up sure but it's some you know one to two percent so i just don't see him coming back to pittsburgh uh, we got a couple more pre-draft visits in today after all, Alex. Okay. Uh, what do we why, got? More why news. Was, why not? Yeah. Hosted. We, we, we're timing these perfectly. Uh, Cedric Tillman uh, coming in. Uh, he's the Tennessee kid, right? And Felix yep. Aduke Uzama. Uh, Tyler Wise is getting a mm-hmm. lot of uh, <laughs> uh, a, a, a lot of uh, his guys in the door uh, this year. Look, I, I looked at uh, uh, Aduke Uzama. Uh when, when did I do that? Uh, around one of those one of those all star games and all. Uh, he's a guy that we talk. He's an edge rusher, obviously, more than anything. Uh, did not uh, the, the the thing. I'm mean, very very talented guy. Uh, did not stand up a lot though at, at Kansas State uh, there. So, but uh, very very productive guy. Uh, guy, I think at the combine, they probably even put through those kind of dropping uh, drills and all like that. I mean, you could really see him as a developmental uh, uh, outside linebacker, if you will. 
Yeah, he's a guy with good production. As you said, Tyler Wise, uh, a fan of him. Uh, Tillman was a guy that, you know, has some size. He was the guy that I thought was smaller, but he's bigger. He's, you know, well over six foot with uh, some decent speed. Obviously, uh, Jalen Hyatt kind of gets all the press there in terms of Tennessee wide receivers. So, get another mid-round type of guy. And that's kind of been Pittsburgh's MO and the receivers they have looked at. And Charlie Jones and Jaden Reed and... You know, Mingo kind of more mid round. I think he's going to go a bit earlier than people think, maybe late, you know, round two, early round three, that kind of range. Um, so that's kind of the the type of receiver they're, they're looking at right now. Absolutely. Uh, so ending the week uh, on at, with with actual Friday. I can't remember the last time this team had Friday pre-draft visitors. Yeah, and, and and assuming the ones that have been scheduled actually came in, that should get us to 30, because I don't believe Anaduke, Uzama, nor Tillman were known before. And so I was sitting at 28 heading into today, and so that should be 30, assuming that all the others reported actually you know have come in. Right. So what does that mean for the ones that were, were, were reported? You would assume that they came in. I mean, I don't know for sure, obviously, but if if you assume that the ones we don't know about the exact date, day one, Jones, Dexter, Clayton, Toon, Ringo, et cetera, if they did visit, then and then you add Tillman and and uh, Anaduke Uzama, there is your thirty visits, and then okay. this means Pittsburgh will be done. Okay. All right, so we uh, have let, a full list. Uh, let's, see. let's see. Yeah, what what Mason Rudolph? I. He, He's got such a bad taste in his mouth. I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, I, I am a bit surprised that he hadn't found some place to land just yet. So we'll we'll have to see. Uh, might be a situation where he's waiting until after the draft to to, to maybe decide. I don't know. Sure. Nick Nick Shuley writes in Alex and Dave. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Steelers need to use one of their first picks on a stud corner to help keep the lid on the likes of uh, OBJ, Jamar Chase, Amari Cooper, etc. They haven't drafted a corner that has made a Pro Bowl since Carnell Lake. He says, "Why do you guys think they've struggled so much drafting corners?" Also for Dave, can you explain a little bit more on your old school Parcells theory and why you wouldn't? draft a corner in 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 the first round look the uh the, the old parcells theory mostly i think goes to top 10 top 15 picks and and, and parcells just used to say look you either you either get a franchise quarterback you get a franchise player that can protect the quarterback and back in his day that meant left tackle or you get a franchise guy that can get after the quarterback me, 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 meaning an edge rusher uh, was was his philosophy there. I just, you know, and his 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 theory pretty much being the closer to the ball, you know, kind of players from there. I just, you know, and it's not as as deep as the whole running back thing there. I just think, especially the way Russian coverage goes hand hand in hand. Uh, I I just have been less excited about drafting cornerbacks in the first round than I have throughout other areas of the draft uh, specifically, not that you can't get a good one. And, and he, he paid dividends for you and all like that. It's just been one of my hangups, one of my biases, if you will. And look, we haven't talked often, obviously about the Steelers drafting a quarter cornerback in the first round. You know, already burned several years ago. We all know how that worked out there overall. And, you know, we'll see what obviously happens. Look, I, I think there is a very high probability that they will draft a cornerback in the first round this year. 
uh, whether that guy be Deontay Banks or, 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 or Joey Porter Jr. Or they, maybe they trade up for a guy like Gonzalez or something like that, you know, there. So now why have they struggled so much in drafting corners? I mean, I think, I mean, if you look just at positionally overall across the NFL when it comes to cornerbacks, I mean, a lot of teams miss on these guys, you know, uh, overall. Now, the Steelers have had successes in the past, right? You know, guys like Ike Taylor, guys like Bryant McFadden, you know, they, 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 they've done pretty well on. Uh, William Gay, I mean, for his latest, he was drafted, end up, you know, uh, being worth his, his, his weight, right? Uh, it's just... You know, people immediately. Then you go back to the Sinquez Gold uh, uh, Golson, who who never got on the field, right? Yeah, never even for a preseason game. Uh, seven training camp practices for him. I, I would say the well, a there is no clear cut answer for why they've struggled. If they knew the answer, they would have addressed it, fixed it. You know, a decade ago, I would say two things. A there was to Dave's point, there wasn't necessarily a ton of high end capital in cornerback and first second round guys. You know, so when you get into the mid late rounds where they kind of focus their cornerbacks, um, you know, your, your success rate is naturally lower, but still they were drafting guys that would get cut immediately and just fall out of the league, you know, after August. I mean, you know, Shaq Richardson and um, uh, Terrence Frederick and guys like that. So to the other point, if people, it, it, it's the same answer I give you when people ask me, why was, why are the Steelers so good at drafting wide receivers? I don't know what it is about the evaluation of what they're doing. I don't think it's anything unique and special and different. I just think for receivers, it was the same scouts that, that watched Plexigo Burris and, you know, were around Heinz Ward and were around Santonio Holmes and all those guys. They were the same scouts that were watching Antonio Brown to Juju Smith-Schuster to, you know, all, all those guys because Pittsburgh's personnel in the front office until 2022 rarely had any change. And, and so when you had the same, Scouts that had the eye for the receiver in 2004 and in 2017, you had the same process and the same people. And and just in the way that led to success at receiver, you had the same scouts that were watching the cornerbacks that they failed on and Ricardo Coakley watching Artie Burns. And so you just had the same people in, in a similar you know opinion and, and thought process and evaluation process. And so that's just kind of how those guys were wired. They had a better eye for receivers than they did corners for whatever reason. And to me, it was just a, a product of the scouting department staying in place and they were good at some things and weren't good at other things. And that was reflected over time. All right. Well put uh, Jeff Arbogast. We'll make this the last one here. Hey guys, I was just wondering how the center class looks in this year's draft. I think this is a position of need for the team. He says Cole has been serviceable, but isn't the quality of player that the team has had uh, in the past. Uh, I would say, you know, overall, this is a, a, a good center class uh, overall. Uh, I, I think it's more top heavy than it has been in, in, in uh, the last two or three years, at least I think, uh, I, you know, I think they're going to draft one. How early is the question? I think it might be earlier than most people think. And I'm really starting to wonder about if they're, how early they might take a tackle if they don't trade up and get, uh, 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 you know, the Georgia Kennedy, uh, Paris Johnson or, or Broderick Jones. So you're thinking it could be a center high and a tackle later. I, if I'm, I'm really starting to wonder if they might not draft a tackle at all. I'm, I'm starting Ooh. to wonder. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, they've as we've said all along, they have shown a ton of interest in the interior offensive line. And I think Cole did fine at center, but sure, he's not elite. He's not Marquise Pouncey. He's not the next great Steelers center. And I just don't know if it's worth the upgrade there, but... I could see them drafting, uh, uh, you know, one, not in the first round, but any time after that, one that they think that could, A, push Cole this year, and potentially be the future guy uh, past this year. Any particular names you're, you're kicking I think around? I think John Michael Schmitz is right. Potentially maybe a guy that could be in their crosshairs. Uh, and and it all goes to when is he, you know, how far will he fall? You know? Okay. So you're thinking 32? I think, I don't think it's out of the question. And I think 49 is definitely in play if he were to last that long. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, it's something I really wrestle with, and I got to think about it for my last mock. Um, you just look at it on paper and say, you know, on paper, you think the tackles are going to be weaker than than the interior guys after all the upgrades you've made there. And you just wonder, is it worth to go back into the well of trying to get another center who may not even start in your number I one? mean, Ricky Stromberg, I think he's he's got to be in the conversation there a little bit later. Uh, who are, who else? I mean, Avilia still feels like more of a guard though, right? Even though he's got center in his resume, doesn't, doesn't he have more of that in in his build and his play more, more sensible for guard? Yeah. He's like three thirty. I mean, you don't see a lot of three thirty centers in Pittsburgh. They haven't always been the most, the biggest guys, but you know, in Pat Meyer's system, the centers are doing a lot of one-on-one blocking uh, as the guards go help the tackles. And so a center that can have good anchor and sit is pretty important. Right. So, it's a, it's a big question. I'm still wrestling with this one. Uh, I do. You, do you think they're going to draft a center? Yeah, I think at some point uh, they the answer to throw my own question in my face is, is how early will they do it? Is the million dollar question. All right. Uh, we got thrown through those. I think we're right at about the two hour mark in this show. We've been kind of careful to not go that long as much as possible lately, but I think with good reason here, we had a 30 minutes uh, with, 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 with Dick, Dick LeBeau there. And we had some news that come in throughout this thing uh, as well here too. So uh, unless you got anything else, Alex. Nope. We'll, uh, we'll wrap things up and come we back. We got some there. penguins news in there today. Yeah. I mean, just literally all the news, at least it was during the show and not after as it usually seems to be. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you want an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the hit the ad free button up right navigational bar and follow the, the, the directions that way. Shout out once again to, for, to uh, Scott Brown uh, for making this happen with Dick LeBeau. A lot of great stuff on the site today hope you're visiting steelersdepot.com and busy week next week we'll have a we have a round table schedule as well too a lot of uh pre-draft talk uh, along those lines as well too so as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex doctor will see you now but do they really 
Do they see you as a mother who's a daughter and a caregiver? Fearless, but sometimes fearful? A health nut with a French fry habit? An O-positive geologist named Patty, who's here today for a melanoma exam. At Kaiser Permanente, we believe the only way to care for all of you is by seeing all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org.